0: That song will now be stuck in your head the rest of the afternoon. It's like, dun 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 da No, I'm just kidding. Hey, but it's so good to see you guys. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians, the book of Philippians, chapter 1. And this morning, as Pat mentioned, we are beginning really just this incredible, amazing journey uh, of 11 weeks through the book of Philippians. And you'll be like, 11 weeks? Good night. You know, that seems like forever. That's all summer. You're right. It is. But um, as a church... We believe in really studying uh, the word of God. And while there are times that we have more topical uh, message series, this is not one of them. And it's this incredible just insight really into this letter to the church of Philippi written by the apostle Paul. And if you know, or have been in church, you probably know this, but Paul, I mean, he's like my favorite guy in the Bible. It's just an amazing, amazing story. But Paul went from being a Christian killer, a persecutor of the church and and the followers of Jesus, going to people's homes and being like Dog the Bounty Hunter and like arresting people and killing them. That just shows I'm red, okay? Uh, But he would show up and he would kill family members. He would arrest them. He would separate them. And that's just what he was known for. And then he gets to this place where he's walking to, uh, to his next assignment to kill somebody. And Jesus shows up and his life is radically changed. That he encounters Jesus, this guy that he, um, he, he doesn't care for, and, and the, the people that, you know, associate themselves with Jesus, he's killing. Jesus shows up, and I love this, in total Jesus fashion, says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? This just calls them out and um, it's, it's an incredible, amazing story, but you should go read it. But Paul gives his life and becomes a follower of Jesus. So he goes from someone who hates Jesus and hates Christians to following Jesus, and then goes on, takes it a step further to become really the first Christian missionary. So that's an amazing, amazing story. And, um, and so what we see is that Paul, in his life, after this transformation and this encounter with Jesus, his life is really driven by the gospel. Meaning, man, his life, everything that he like eats, breathes, and sleeps things about Jesus. His life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. I mean, it was personal to him. And because his life was radically changed and he experienced this transformation, he wanted everybody else that he encountered to experience the same transformation. He he didn't want to keep it a secret. It wasn't like, I'm just going to go to church over here. And if someone asks me, then I'll tell them about it. He's like, I'm getting the word out. Like, this is legit. This is the real deal. So I'm going to do this. And so he went and he started to plant churches. And he would go to um, metropolitan areas that were rapidly growing, very diverse, and he would plant churches there. So for instance, if he was around today, he would travel to places like New York or Chicago or LA. And when I say LA, like Los Angeles, not like lower Alabama, you know what I'm saying? Okay. And so he would travel to these big, huge places and he would say, hey, there's a lot of people that believe a lot of different things and we're going to plant a Christian church uh, um, who are followers of Jesus. And that's just what he did. And he would go there and once he developed really a community of believers, he would start to invest into some leaders and people to be pastors and deacons and elders. And then he would say, okay, my time is up and he would go to the next place. And one of the greatest um, Evidences of this and just the relationship he had with these churches he started is really the majority of the New Testament because what it is is Paul writing these letters to the churches he planted and started and just keeping this correspondence, which I think is so crazy because I know a lot of the times we can all be guilty, maybe more so of the Old Testament than the New, but when we look at scripture. For sometimes it seems like a fairy tale. It kind of seems like, oh, it's just kind of oral tradition passed down of some cool stories and fol- folklore type thing. But Paul was the real deal. And we have this historical evidence and archaeological evidence of these letters that he wrote to these churches to just keep in touch with them and, and staying in contact. So you have, like, the book of Corinthians is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. Or Ephesians, he's writing to the book or to the church of um, Ephesus. Book of Romans, you know, he's writing to the church of Rome, and so he's he's doing all these things. And we come to the the book of Philippians, this letter to the church of Philippi. And if you were to stack all these letters by Paul to all these churches, kind of side by side, you would see one glaring difference in the book of Philippians. And what it is is it is exclusively. Um, in light of the other ones, not about just correction and rebuke. This is what I mean by this. If you look at Corinthians, Ephesians, uh, even Romans, it is Paul really giving a lot. It's really informative in theology. But the reason it is, is because he's correcting the churches. There is some jacked up stuff happening in the churches of those letters. And so he's saying, hey, Don't do this. You need to start doing this. Stop doing this. Start doing this. Hey, that's wrong. That needs to get out of the church. You're all jacked up in your theology and all this other stuff. The culture culture infiltrated the church, and he's trying to change that. But when you get to this letter to the church of Philippi, it's really the exact opposite. Because the church of Philippi is doing what they're supposed to be doing. And they are moving the gospel forward. That's why we called this series Forward. It is Paul's intent when he started this, hey, we want to see people come to know and follow Jesus. And the church is doing that. And the the city of Philippi was this metropolitan area. It was on a huge trade route, but it was a military town, a Roman military town. So the influence was from Rome. It was like a little Rome type thing. And so Paul wasn't originally planning on going to Philippi. And I think the context of this is important for us to know and let it come to life. He wasn't originally planning on traveling there. But um, God showed up. He had this vision and he said, hey, you know, we need to go there. So Paul gets his posse. He gets Luke. All right. Uh, we know the gospel of Luke. He's this physician. He brings him. He brings a guy by the name of Silas. And then this guy named Timothy, who was like Paul's like understudy, his protege, kind of apprentice. And he packs him up. They go, they get on a boat and they sell to Philippi. They get there. And as you can imagine, being this really busy, fast paced city, they show up, and it is so densely uh, influenced by uh, the Roman Empire that what Paul would usually do when he go to these cities, if you're following along with me, he would go and he would find like a small little niche of some Jewish leaders, and he would kind of say, hey, I'm going to stay at your house for however long it takes, and they'd say, they just have that kind of culture. Yeah, come on in, do your thing, and, and he would do that. Well, when he gets to Philippi, it's so densely Roman-influenced that he can't find anybody, He can't find any Jews to stay with, and he's kind of like, okay, well, there's not even like a house of worship or a house of prayer or anything. And so what's funny is we see this in Acts 16, and I I want you to read it. It's an incredible story. Paul and Silas and Timothy, they get to the river there in Philippi, huge trade route, and they really stumble upon like a women's Bible study, all right? Now, guys, I don't know if you've ever stumbled upon a women's Bible study. It could be super awkward, all right? Like, I'm not going. That would just be weird. It would be like, what is he doing, okay? But Paul and his, and his, his team show up, and they meet this businesswoman named Lydia, all right? Now, Lydia is this businesswoman. She's kind of a fashionita, okay? She has her own business. She's, she has to be successful because she has a house in Philippi, and it was not cheap, okay? And so she's there, and Scripture says that she is a God-fearing woman, meaning, and we, if we see this unpacked in Scripture, she believed in God. She knew that God and truly believed that God that was the one true God. Now, this is huge because this is a, a pagan culture, lots of different other gods, Greek gods, you know, Roman gods, all these different things. She knew that God was the one true God. She believed in the law of God, the Ten Commandments. She, she lived in a way that she wanted to follow those things. She was just trying her best to follow God. But that's about what she knew. She didn't really know anything about Jesus. She didn't know why he came, who he was. She might've gotten wind of it, you know, from like Time Magazine or People Magazine or something. No, just kidding. All right. But she, she kind of knew, but she really didn't know the saving work and life and ministry of Jesus as the gospel. And so when Paul and Silas and Timothy show up, they meet her and they really just tell her, let me tell you about Jesus. Simple conversation. And she gives her life as a follower of Jesus. And really from that lady, the church of Philippi is born. Now there's a couple other instances. We don't have enough time to get into it. And maybe we'll unpack it as the series progresses. But it is this amazing story of the church of Philippi. And so Paul camps out there and he's there for, we don't know how long, um, some scholars say almost two years, but he's there and he's pouring into people. And what we see in this letter is he begins to write, and we're going to look at really the opening of the letter. um, And it might seem like, well, how do you pull stuff, uh, application out of that? We will um, today. But think about this. The church of Philippi had this special place in Paul's heart. Because he's not, the book is not about like, hey, you're doing all these things wrong. He's really commending them on being a healthy church. He's commending them on, as believers, where they stand in their walk and relationship with God. And he's celebrating that. He's highlighting that and saying, keep, keep it going. What you're doing is right. Keep it up. And he, because of that, man, there's like this special place in his heart. We're going to see this this morning. In his heart that he's like, man, I just love you guys. I just love you guys. And I'm going to tell you, okay, I'm just, I didn't say this to the first service because I like you guys better. But um, no, just kidding. But like when I was studying this, let me just be transparent with you. And I'm not just saying this, man, I love this place. And as I'm looking at Paul's affection for the church, I want you to know as well, man, I'm so thankful that I get to be on this journey, trying to follow Jesus to the best of our ability together. Man, you guys are awesome. And this church is awesome. And what God is doing at all of our campuses, man, it's something special. And I know I have a biased opinion, but our staff talks about all the time like, man, we just want to continue to walk with God because we don't want God to like remove his hand on us. Like what God is doing is so special. And I in a lot of ways I feel like Paul. I feel like, man, God is just doing stuff in your life and I'm so thankful that you're a part of this. And that was Paul's heart. He loved them. Was it perfect? No. And he talks about some things that need to be corrected, but Ultimately, the book of Philippians is all about him, just his joy and his satisfaction, how proud of his church that he started is. And he starts to talk about these things so much so that when he writes this, Paul is in a Roman jail cell. Think about this suffering. And he's like, you know what, man? I love them so much. I'm going to write them a letter. I'm just going to write them a letter and I'm going to say, man, you guys rock. That's really what it is. And so let's read this letter, how he opens um, up this. And really, this, this is probably uh, part of a series of letters. But Paul writes this. He opens up this way. Think about it as if you and I were to write a letter, you, we would put dear so-and-so. We kind of lost the art of handwritten notes in some regards. It's like, I'll text you, okay? Um, but he's writing this letter, and this is how it starts. Chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm just going to kind of walk through this. I'll, I'll commentate a little bit through it. But he says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's pretty much saying, hey, that's Paul and Timothy writing to you, uh, to all the leaders, the believers, the saints in in the church of Philippi, the elders, the deacons, hope, hope everything's going well, grace to you. And then he says this, verse three, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Think about this. He's saying, hey, I think about you guys all the time. And when I think about you and I pray for you, man, I'm just filled with joy. Man, I, like, I want to be that church. When people think of this place, they're just filled with joy. Not because it's entertaining, but because God is at work in this place. And he's saying, man, I'm thinking about you guys. I'm in this jail cell in Rome, and it's not a pretty little place, you know. It's not this all-inclusive resort over here. I'm suffering. And when I think about you, it brings great joy. It brings great joy. When I pray for you, it's bringing this joy into my life. And then he says, this is why it's joyful. Verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So he's like, you know why I'm joyful? Sure, y'all are great people. You make me laugh. You're always welcoming me, all that kind of stuff. He says, "What what brings me joy is that from day one, we were on the same mission together. We are in partnership with the gospel from day one until now. Man, you're doing things to advance the kingdom of God, to move the gospel forward. It's bringing me great joy um, for that. Verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, so that's God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Christ. So God who stirred up and started this church from this businesswoman, Lydia, and a couple guys and Paul who started this church, what he's doing and the work that he's creating, he's going to bring it to completion. Like it's not going to stop until Jesus returns. So keep pushing forth in that. And then he says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. You're believers, he's saying. And I hold you in my heart, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So he's saying, I'll hold you close to my heart, even while I'm in this jail cell or in my imprisonment, I'm thinking about you. I'm also thinking about you, Church of Philippi, when I'm defending the faith and people are asking questions and they're persecuting. I'm thinking about you and confirmation when we're celebrating people coming to know Jesus we're, I'm celebrating that. And that's so, like, I just hold you in my heart. And then he says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. These are, this is strong language. Think about this. He is telling the church of Philippi, I love you like Jesus loves you. Now, I would like to think that I love people well but there are just some people, if I'm really honest, I don't love like Jesus. You know, we have those people in our lives. But Paul is saying, I love you as Christ loves you. And that's a a big statement. Because if Christ can love someone like me, then he can love anybody, right? And so Paul is saying, I love you like Jesus loves you. Like, here is Jesus' and God's love out here. And I'm going to love you the same way. Big statement. So he's opening up the letter this way. And he says this. He goes into his prayer for the church of Philippi. He says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless, For the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, man, what an introduction to a letter, right? So next time you like send a, a note to your grandma, all right, start it out this way and just see what happens, okay? Mm-hmm. But, but oh, man, it is heavy burden. But you can just see it's just flowing out this affection that Paul has for the church of Philippi. And he loves them and he cares for them. And he's praying really two main things. This is where the application hits. He's praying two main things for the church of Philippi to do, to continue to do, and he's commending them for what they've done, and that is to grow and to walk, all right? He's challenging them and encouraging them to continue to grow and to walk. Now, if you think about our lives as believers, if you're a believer, your life should be in the very essence those two things. You should be growing and you should be walking, our lives as believers are never meant to be stagnant and just complacent in one spot. We should always be moving forward, growing closer to Christ, growing in our relationship with him, walking with him. Think about it this way. For those of you who have kids, or maybe you have nieces and nephews that are kids, you know this, okay? When our kids are first born, when they're newborns, and they, they come out of the mother's womb, okay, are they walking? No. Now that would be weird, Okay. And I would love to see that because it would be viral, all right? But that'd be weird. But our kids don't walk. They are fully dependent on us. And so we have to feed them, right? You have to change diapers. You have to rock them to sleep. You have to pray to God that you can get some sleep. You know, all these different things. But when they are little, they don't know how to walk. They don't know how to, I mean, they can eat, but you have to help them. You know, they use the bathroom on themselves, all that kind of stuff. Okay, that's really gross, but you know what I'm saying. All right, they're fully dependent on you. But as you're feeding them and as they're growing, right, and as their body's developing and you're giving them tummy time. And are you impressed, moms? Okay. You're giving them that, those things. and They're being able to sit up and do these things and they're, they're gaining strength in their body. There comes a day, and it's a big day, where they begin to take their first steps, right? They take their first steps, and it's a big day. And then like a month later, you're like, why, God, are you allowing them to walk right now? Because they're all over this house, right? It's like you got to put all the security things on all the kitchen cabinets and bathroom cabinets, and then you got to put the things like protectors in all the outlets because— Well, you know, you should let your kid just do that once because they'll be like, the last time I do that? No, just kidding. But you got to protect them and they're all over the place. But before you know it, they're growing, you're feeding them all these different things and they're growing and they're taking their steps and they're walking. And they're being able to do that. And as toddlers, they can't run yet, right? They, they're not really fully able to run. And if they try to run, they look like a drunk, like football fan. You know what I'm talking about? It's like the weirdest thing. I'm like, they're about to fall at any moment in time. And you see them and they're like headbutting this furniture and that, whatever. And then, but eventually as they grow, they're walking well. And then that walking leads to running. And that should be the progression of our lives as believers, that as believers, that as we're growing in our relationship to Christ, it causes us to walk with Christ, which leads us to running for Christ. So think about this, as we're growing and as we're doing these things, that, that, that should be our life. And he's challenging the church, continue to grow. Continue to do these things. Continue just to mature in your walk with God. I love, Paul said this to the church in his letter to the church of Corinth. He says this, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So he's saying there's this maturity process that as you're growing with God, you should be maturing in things. You should be growing. You should not be at the infant stage. When you come to know Jesus, you should not be in the infant stage forever, where it's like, I don't really know how to read the Bible, or I never really pray. You should be really challenging yourself and pushing yourself like we do with anything else to have these goals and to grow in those things. And as our relationship grows, we begin to walk. And as we begin to walk Then it turns into this incredible run that we are just running for Christ. And so as we walk or as we, as we grow, we walk. And as we walk, we grow. And so he's challenging the church of Philippi to continue to grow and continue to walk. And this is what he says. Really to grow in some things and to walk in some things, I'm going to give you kind of a bullet point um, list. Um, And so just kind of take notes or whatever. But the the three things that he says for us to grow in are love, knowledge, and discernment, okay? He tells us, and he's telling the church of Philippi, you need to continue to grow in your love, in your knowledge, and your discernment. Now think about this, okay? He says this, he says, um, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So he's saying that your love, my love, your love, it should grow. And as, it, as we follow God, as we're walking with him, as we're growing, our love also grows. I know this is true about my life. The more I fall in love with God, the more I love God and the more I love others. And you can always tell like this is, this is so true. And I, I'm getting ahead of myself for a little bit. It's my ADD, okay? Think about this. So Paul writes this to the church of Ephesus. And I think this is so well, because you see the the parallels and some of this. But Paul writes this to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter three, verses 17 through 19. It'll be on the screens. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that's this relationship that's growing, right? Christ is dwelling in your hearts, that you being rooted and grounded in love, So as a believer, we should be rooted and grounded in love. That's what he's saying. May have the strength to comprehend. So to make sense with all the saints, all the other believers, to be able to comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with with all the fullness of God. Now, if a goal of a believer is to be full of God, right? So we see this. It really starts with this principle of love, that that we should have the strength to understand the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So when I read that, what I hear Paul saying to the church of Ephesus in this, in this instance is he is saying. You can know everything that you want to know, but what's more important is the love that's in you. And so really, your maturity in Christ is not marked by what you know, but instead how you love. Think about this. A mature Christian loves well. An immature Christian doesn't love well. They're all about themselves. They're you, you, I mean, we've all experienced it. We see people that say, I love Jesus. I go to my, I, this is my church that I go to. But you know what? You're an idiot. You think that way. You believe that way. You vote that way. Whatever the case may be, you're, I, I can't believe you call yourself a Christian. There's no way. We start pointing fingers and we don't love well. I talked about this a little bit last week that we should be loving our neighbors. That doesn't mean that you agree with them where they stand on anything. Doesn't mean that you're condoning behavior or whatever the case may be, but we should love people well. We should be known for our love. You can disagree and still love people. That's called family, okay? So, um, but anyway, you know what I'm saying? You can just love well. And he's saying, hey, Church of Philippi, let your love just expound over and over and let it grow more and more. And then he says knowledge and discernment, with knowledge and discernment. Now, I'll put these two hand in hand because I think knowledge, you can have all the knowledge in the world. And what he's saying is as you're, man, as you're being fed by God's word, as you're reading and and as you're you're as believers, you're devoted to the apostles' teaching. And as you're growing in your relationship with God, as you do that, as you're, you're growing and you know these things, then you have that knowledge. Now you're able to discern in life what things are either um, acceptable to God or not, things that are honoring to God or not. If you and I are in God's word and we're growing in reading scripture in our relationship, there are things in our life, all things that are... Um, we, we can look at to God's word as the measuring stick and say, that doesn't honor God. That's the discernment. I shouldn't do this because it's a sin. I shouldn't say this because it doesn't honor God with my mouth. I shouldn't do this because it doesn't honor God with my life. And so Paul is saying, hey, continue doing these things, grow in your maturity, be able to discern. And that's why he says, um, with all knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. So you can approve what is honoring to God. Then, so not only just the growing, but he's saying to walk in these things, that we are called to walk in these things. And he says that we need to walk in wisdom, holiness, and works. That as believers in our lives, that we need to walk in wisdom, holiness, and works. Wisdom is really that application of knowledge and that discernment together so that we can approve uh, what is excellent to say, hey, that that is wise stuff. We see in in the Proverbs, the writer says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. So we need to be getting wise. We need to surround ourselves with people of influence that are wise and walking towards the same thing. That doesn't mean you push away those who don't know Jesus. We need to minister to them as well. But our greatest influences should be God's word and people who believe God's word as well. But then holiness. He says that you can be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. As believers, the ultimate goal of our lives is to be more like Jesus. Jesus right? Not the world. To be more like Jesus. And that process, fancy word, sanctification, is as we're becoming more like Jesus, that's really us walking towards holiness. That our lives should become more holy, more Christ-like. If our lives are either stagnant or actually not even moving towards that sanctification process, something is wrong in our walk with God. Either we don't care, we're taking it for granted, we're not moving and taking steps, we're not growing, we're just kind of like, ah, oh, I'm kind of complacent where I'm at. And so, Or if we're taking steps away from Jesus. Our goal as believers should be taking steps to be more like Jesus. Are we going to have failures? Absolutely. Are we going to make mistakes? Absolutely. But it should be taking those steps of holiness to God so that we can be pure and blameless for the day of Christ up until Christ Returns. And then verse 11, he says, filled with the fruit of righteousness. This is that we should be walking in works. This is the final thing. The fruit of righteousness is an aspect of the Holy Spirit that when we become followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into us and shows us our talents, our abilities, so that we can go out and tell people. I always say this all the time. If we just sit and we soak up and we're fed, fed, fed God's word, we become what I call spiritually obese. And we take it all in, and that's great things, but then we have to do some exercise. We gotta put some some work in. And so the the this fruit of righteousness is saying, hey, we need to go do something with all this stuff that we know. Lives can be radically changed because of us growing and walking in God. And and Paul is saying, Y'all are doing that. I Man, y'all are doing that, and we're gonna see that as it unfolds. I Man, God is doing amazing things in the church of Philippi. He said Paul says this to the church of Ephesus. He says, "We're his workmanship, in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. He's gone ahead of us and we should walk in them." So just a closing statement. If we're not moving, if we're not moving, we're not maturing. If we're not taking steps and we're just kind of stagnant, we are not maturing in our walk with God. And I don't know about you. I want to be, I crave and desire to be like the church of Philippi. That's making a difference in Five Forks and Simpsonville and the upstate around the world, that at all of our campuses, we have people who are sold out that are so um, passionate about growing and walking in Christ. The way that Paul is saying, hey, every time I think about you, man, y'all are doing it right. I want to be that church, not because of us, but because of what God is doing through us and our passion for him, that, man, lives are radically changed. Baptisms are happening. Salvations are happening. Lives are being radically changed. People who've been burned by the church, who, who just check out and say, I'm not for God or any of that kind of stuff that will turn back and say, you know what, man, that church is for real because God's working in there and they're growing and they're walking in these things. Let us be ones that are moving and maturing and being like the church of Philippi. And if that's you this morning, man, thank God that you are passionate about those things. But I know for many of us, we struggle in that journey. And if there's anything that I can do to help, I really mean that. Come find me. I'll be down here. We can pray together. You can find me in the lobby and say, hey, how do I begin a journey? I'm just kind of stagnant in this place. It happens to the best of us. But let us begin taking steps. Take a step. Maybe your next step is baptism. You haven't followed through in obedience. You want to get baptized? We have a baptism coming up in a couple of weeks. We'd love the opportunity to baptize you. But let's pray and then let's close and worship together. Father, we're so thankful that we can have a relationship with you in such a way that we come before you and just talk. And God, so often just in the world that we live in, it is hard and it's hard to follow you. There's so many distractions, there's so many beliefs, there's so many things that really it seems that are against us. But if the world is against us, Father, we know that you are for us and the the world was against the church of Philippi. And yet you used them to do amazing things. To start with just a handful of people, starting with Lydia, this this businesswoman. She didn't have any official training, but you used her and a handful of people to create a church body that was doing it right. They were growing and they were walking in their relationship with you, Father. That's my desire for this place, that we will never stop growing and walking. And that as we do that, Father, that you will use us to impact the lives of other people. Not just to have a great church service with some awesome worship and a time to ourselves, but God, that when we leave this place today, we look for opportunities for people to come to know you. God, use us, use us. I think it'd be so awesome. Who knows, hundreds of years from now, people are writing letters about this place because we're obedient to you about any of our campuses just being sold out to see lives changed for you. So God, let us use this time to confess what's holding us back, to come before your feet and to say, you are everything. You are everything to us and we worship you now in your son's name, amen. Let's stand and close our worship together.